Well, it's good to see y'all back tonight, and I'm thankful to be here. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 2, please. John chapter 2. I want to read the first five verses. We looked at uh, some of the other verses this morning, and we'll look some more tomorrow night, but I want to look at the first five verses tonight. Chapter 2 says, Y'all want to stand or... That, do y'all, is that your habit or? Uh, verse 2 says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And his mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Here's her advice. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. I think that'd be good advice for this service tonight. So let's pray. Brother Matt, would you pray for us, please? Dear Lord, we are grateful for this opportunity to be here this evening. Lord, we ask that you would uh, make your word clear to us. And Lord, uh, speak to us. We, uh, we trust that you want to move this evening, that you want to uh, do something in our, in our hearts, Lord. And uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work. Um, Lord, if there's any resistance to your spirit, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, be at work to break that down, Lord, and, and bring the conviction, Lord, uh, and uh, just pray that you use the service uh, to uh, help us grow and uh, challenge us to serve you. I pray that you do it. Brother Hudson this evening, give him strength and uh, guidance as he speaks to us. Christ, and we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, we looked at the background of this book this morning, and and I would like to just uh, keep a keep a reminder that we're only preaching just a portion of this passage, and preaching one application of many that could be made. I guess I was. Thinking about this afternoon, I, before we ever moved down where we are, uh, we had moved, uh, we had joined the church at Metropolitan, and, and part of my job there was to restart an old Bible college that had been uh, shut down sometime in the 50s. And I'd been down there, I don't know, two or three days or something, I don't know how long, and was coming home. I was up here, out here on 287, heading toward Burke, and uh, I was listening to J. Vernon McGee on the radio. Uh, he's one of my favorites. J. Vernon, sometimes he'd preach, sometimes he'd teach, sometimes he'd just meddle, you know. And that day he was just reading some scripture and going through and. He, he was in this chapter and he said, 
and he said, uh, when I was the pastor of the church of the open door in Los Angeles, he said, uh, I, I never did get a message out of this chapter. Never got a chance to preach this chapter. But he said, I, I knew what I would call the message if I got it. And he said, I'd call it a mother's advice. Well, I already told you. I had that message quite a while before that. I nearly wrecked my truck. <laughs> I pulled off out there at that truck stop and had a prayer meeting with the Lord about that, that old man of God who had uh, God had showed him something that he showed me over in the parking lot of the hospital. He did, uh, it was just a powerful thing for me, and still is, to think about. You know, there's nothing new. Uh, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. There's plenty new if you get above the sun, get up there where God is. But if you're as long as we're under the sun, we're looking at the same old stuff. So anyway, uh, a mother's advice. My mother could give advice. I mentioned that this morning. She was the advice giver. It seemed like always she gave me advice when I needed it worse. And sometimes I wish I'd have paid more attention to her advice. But here's a mother who had the correct advice. I've got about three things to say about her advice. First of all, I wanted to look at her intellect, her ability. We don't have to wonder who this mother is. You can go over to Luke chapter number 1 and verse 27, verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, Gabriel that name Gabriel means the man of God. He told uh, Zechariah in verse 19, I am the man of God that stand in the presence of God and sent to speak to thee and show thee the word of God. And so, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Don't have to wonder who she was. In fact, I would advise that you get you a highlighter and bright pink is my favorite. I used to use yellow, but yellow fades. And I recommend bright pink or, or underline it in red. Two times in that verse she says she's a virgin. You ought to get that. She is not, she is not a... a an extraordinary woman. She's just, see, uh, he says, Hail thou that art highly favored. That word there would be grace. We're highly favored if God given us his grace. He didn't give us what we deserve. He didn't give us what we might expect. But he gave us grace. And here's a lady that got grace. She's not an extraordinary woman, but she's a ordinary woman the verse says blessed art thou among women not above women she did not have extraordinary gifts but she was dealing with an extraordinary God who would do an extraordinary work in her life and do a, and make something out of her so, uh, so she was there you know mothers have a way they're in the know 
Mamas know. Right, Kyle? Does Mama know? I thought so. That's the way it was when I was that age. She always knew. She had eyes in the back of her head. So she was there when the messenger declared him. And you read that. Uh, you can go all the way down to verse 38, but look at look at uh, verse 33. Let's see. Let's let's start with verse uh, 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter one. He's going to tell Joseph why he's calling his name Jesus. That word Jesus means is the Greek for. Jehoshua, which means the God of our salvation. And he told Joseph, you'll call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. It's a savior name. And she, so he said, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord shall give him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary was a sensible young lady. She said this. Then said Mary unto the angel. How shall this be seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. She was there at the declaration of who he was. She was first-hand recipient of the information. And uh, she said, Be it unto me according to thy word. Down verse 38, Elizabeth spoke, and, the, and the, the baby was filled in her, was filled with the Holy Ghost, as God had already told his father. And... Uh, uh, he recognized who she was and who she, uh, who that baby was that she carried, and so did Elizabeth. Uh, and so uh, you move over to chapter 2. Mary was there for the declaration. Mary was there for the delivery. Those first eight verses, verse 7 says, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And uh, she was there for the dedication. Look, move down. 25. In, in 21, eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child. His name was called Jesus, which was so named the angel before she he was conceived in the womb, and when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer the sacrifice that is said, verse uh, 23 and 4, uh, that is said of the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Somebody know what that sacrifice represented? That's the poor people's sacrifice. If you were rich, you might have a, a lamb or a goat or a bullock. But the poor people who couldn't afford a lamb or goat or bullock 
to offer the pigeons or the doves and God would accept it for them. So here's a poor people sacrifice. See, he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He, he, is a, he has come. He, I, I preach in Kyoto, Oklahoma every year. I have for almost 20 years now. And there's a group of ladies up there saying they do most of the specials. And they've got one they sing every time I go. And I don't ever hear anybody else sing it. It's a great song. It said, he left it all to go to Calvary for me. He left his robe. He left his crown. He left 10,000 bound down. He didn't bring one piece of a jasper wall. He left it all. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, Philippians chapter 2, but he made of himself of no reputation and he became uh, in the form of a man was found in fashion as a man and humbled himself and became obedient to the cross even to the cross and God highly exalted him so he left everything for us she was there when Simeon verse 25 uh, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. That's the same Holy Ghost that filled John uh, in Elizabeth's womb. That's the same Holy Ghost that had come upon Mary. That's the same. I mean, the witness is there. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ and he came by the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him the custom of the law and he took him up in his arms can you see that old prophet holding that baby and 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 said Lord now let thy servant depart in peace for mine eyes has seen thy salvation which thou prepared before the face of all people. Verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Jerusalem for a sign which shall be spoken against. 35, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And uh, then you can read about Anna, but I'm, not, I'm skipping some. Down to verse 48. Now they have come, uh, verse 41 says, his parents went to Jerusalem every year. See, mamas make mistakes sometimes, right? Mamas know a lot of stuff. This mama had heard a lot of stuff, but mamas still make mistakes. And so they'd been down to Jerusalem, it came to pass, and they, uh, they supposing him to have been in the company when a day's journey, the feast is over and they're headed back home. And then they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. 
They turned back. She made a mistake, but she corrected it. She went and found it. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, hearing and asking them questions. She heard his message. And all that heard him were astonished at, at his understanding and answered. And they saw him, and they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Notice it's his mama. Mama's always got to say something. Right? Mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us thus with us? Behold thy father, and I have sought thee. That's literally a father. Sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my capital F father's business? And they understood not. And they went down, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. Verse 51. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased with, in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. I hope you, I hope you, I made it I hope I read the right things. Can you see this? That there's a special tie between him and her. God prepared her for him and he prepared him in her. And so that's, it ought to be a challenge to every woman here who is a mother, a grandmother. God's, God's got something for you to do with your your child, your grandchild, a special something. You have a bond that nobody else can have. Uh, what's his name? Doctor, uh, the the child, the the psychologist, doctor. Uh, he used to have a radio program. Come on. Charles Stanley. Huh? Charles Stanley. No, no, the doctor. Huh? James Dobson. Dr. Dobson says that every child by the time they're four years old or so the direction of their life the patterns of their life is set. Guess who gets to seven? Mamas. Mamas have the greatest influence in those first years. There may be a day when dad has greater influence later, but those first years are mama years for most children. And mama, you can, you can head them toward Jesus or you can head them toward the world. Well, that's another message. She had inside information. Mama's always no more, right? She had an intuition. Let's go back to our text now. Let's look at this a minute. It's amazing to me. The third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there and, and both Jesus was called and the disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. A wedding feast under the law 
for the Jews is far different than anything we do here. That wedding feast was probably a seven or more day feast. A week of feasting. And under the law, if you invited people to your feast, you were strictly responsible for the hospitality. In fact, if you couldn't, if you, if you invited them to the feast, to your home, and you didn't feed them, or in this case, if, they, if you run out of wine, it's a, it's a legal offense. And you could go to jail for it. Or you could be fined. Certainly there would be great embarrassment to the family that could not provide for their guests. My wife still got that. It's, she's not under the law, but uh, man, when we have in company, you can turn the you can turn the tension valve up just about two or three notches, and we're going to clean everything and dust everything and provide everything, and then have some left over in case we forgot something. That's the way it works. I imagine most you women operate about on that same level. But under that law, it was a it was a public offense, and it was a legal offense if they run out of wine. Now look at it, and an embarrassment. Uh, look at verse one. The mother of Jesus was there. I've I've got I've got uh, I've got. Uh, First Baptist Fort Worth. What was his name? He was pastor for 50 years. It doesn't matter who he was. But I got his book on, on how to have a wedding and how to conduct your church. I've got a lot of respect for him. And he, uh, he, he said some things about a wedding that I really took to heart, he said, make it a spiritual thing. If you want a public thing and if you want a government thing, go over there somewhere and have it. But if you're going to come to the church, make it a spiritual thing. A wedding is a spiritual thing between two people. It's not between the families, it's between two people and God. God is the witness and, and the, the union that is made is a spiritual Union, two people in God. So, so Dr. Chriswell said, "Preacher, you make sure that that couple understands the significance of the wedding first, and then when you begin to the the wedding process, which begins with the practice night, I guess." Make sure they understand that you're going to begin with a Bible study and prayer meeting before you start to practice. And talk about the spiritual nature of what you're doing. It's not a, it's not a game you're playing. It's not a show you're putting on. It's not just performing something for the legal aspect of the state. But it's a God thing between two people and God. And it's a serious thing. And so I always tried to do that. Here's what I found out. He said, Dr. Crystal said, Preacher, you take charge or 
or somebody else will take charge because every family has a wedding expert. <laughs> I found out that was very true. I used to call them the wedding mafia, but Susie told me to quit talking about it. didn't sound good. But every, every family has a wedding expert. They know how, the, how you're supposed to sprinkle the flowers and how the bouquets and where everybody's supposed to stand and just how everything's got to go. And you know, part of it is the reception, the wedding feast, and somebody's got to be in charge of the concession and somebody's got to be in charge of the groom cake and the bride cake and all that stuff. Yeah. All that's pre-planned. You may think it just accidentally happened. It never does. So how did, how did, how did three days after Peter comes to Jesus, how did it happen that they're at Cana of Galilee at a wedding? And the mother of Jesus was there. The only reference I can find in the whole book of John to Cana of Galilee is Nathaniel, one of the disciples, was from Cana of Galilee. And you won't find that till you get over to chapter 21 when Peter said, I'm going fishing. And Nathaniel went with him. So maybe Nathaniel may have known some of these people. Maybe uh, somehow you could tie, I don't know. And then if you get that answered, she's in charge of something over here. She must be in charge of the refreshments or the wine table or whatever it is. Certainly she has compassion for the family Probably why she came to Jesus is because of the danger of the embarrassment in, the, in, in that society to that family who's given the feast. Maybe they're kinfolks. I don't know. And then, if you get that answered, what about the disciples? He didn't even have disciples three days ago. What about him and the disciples being there? Strange, isn't it? Probably coincidental. I doubt it. I tell you what, I find after I've pawed over it and fumed over it, God did it. He good at stuff like that. He put every one of us together today for His purpose. He does it all the time. It's not a new thing with God. He can put us in Cana or He can put us in in uh, Wichita Falls or wherever he wants us to be and then he can display himself in our midst. So, for whatever reason, she is troubled about it. Now, I've got one more thing to say about her before I get there, but remember she's addressing the servants who served the wedding crowd. And here's what I wrote down. I've been watching him for 30 years. 
I've heard from heaven about him. I've heard the testimony of the preacher about him. I've, I have seen him operating now for 30 years. And I don't know what he might do. I don't know if he will do. I've been waiting on him to do a miracle for a long time. But whatever he says to you, get ready because he may just happen to do it today. Whatever he says to you, do it. That's it. That was, he's going to let you get in on something, but I don't know exactly what. That's what she said. The real controversy comes in verse 4. The theologians say, some theologians say that Jesus rebuked his mother. I don't believe that. My, my personal opinion, that's not so. Others say uh, that she intruded in an area that she should not have intruded. That might be so. She is not all-powerful, certainly not all-powerful. Only he is all-powerful. You know, we're living in this day when there's a stain on the cement over somewhere and somebody said, wow, look at that. Mary must be around here. And half the, half the state moves over, goes over there, spends their money to get there just to see a shadow or a stain or something that maybe might indicate that Mary's been there. Well, to begin with, Mary's just a common woman. She's an ordinary woman. She got in on something special because God wanted her to get in on it. But she's just an ordinary woman, just as ordinary. She, she was no different than the other Hebrews. She was a young teenage Hebrew girl who God chose to use. Not an extraordinary woman, but an ordinary woman that God used in an extraordinary way. You could say that about Elijah. You could say it about Elisha. You could say it about the Old Testament prophet. You could say it about Esther. You could say it about a lot of folks. And you have to say it about Mary. So, but, but the Bible says... Only Jesus could say that all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And I'll give you some power if you'll go and witness in my name. Only Jesus could say it. Only Jesus could say of the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'll build my church. And again, I mean, she is inadequate in her power. But she understands the need of something more than what she can do. I wonder if we ever get there. I wonder if we've been there lately. When we just ran up against it and came to a place, hey, If you're, if you're not saved, how are you planning on going to heaven? If you're not saved, what are you going to do when they say cancer? If you're not saved, what are you going to do 
when the nearest and dearest on this earth dies and leaves you here by yourself? Where's your refuge? What are you going to stand on if you're not saved? He's the one with the power. He's the one who works in us. It's Him. So, so, so I've said all about the theologians and you're saying, yeah, but Brother Wayne, what do you think about it? Right? Here's what I think. I don't know. But based on her asking, her answer I'm going to say that he said to her don't worry about it mama I'll take care of it she turned from the question and said whatever he says he's the power man whatever he says to you do it so I wanted to look at that that uh Announcement that she made in a little. Let's just look at this. Let's look at verse five. Now we've talked about her inadequacy and his identity. He's the only one. See, over there and over there. Maybe I'll say a little more about that. Over in Philippians chapter number two, verse thirteen, the Bible said. It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so Paul steps out on that in 4.13 and says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. In 19 he says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You don't have to come up short. You don't have to be in need as a child of God, you can expect that Jesus is going to do something to relieve you and to further you and to help you to perform. Oh, uh, Brother Martin, I preached several mission conferences where Brother Martin uh, did the teaching, and some of it was very profound. You, uh, your pastor knows about it. He was there. I, I've got a, I've got a Hall of Fame page in my Bible. Statements that impacted me, and here's one from Milton Martin. God has called us. If you're saved, God has called us. God has called us to go to places we've never been to do things we've never done with resources we do not have. Think about that. Think about that statement. If you're saved, you're going to have to come to that statement. God could have left you alone. You could have been dumb as a box of rocks. But you have some knowledge of God. There's something in you that you did not have before you got saved. I mean, there's an implanted Holy Spirit in your heart that gives you direction over there, over there in, uh, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, you have the mind of Christ. You have some intellect. You know some stuff that the rulers of this world don't seem to know. 
you've got some intellect and, and understanding of the things of God. God has given you that. And as much as you will use it, God will help you to be strong and be used of God. You can be a soul winner. You can be a peacemaker. You can be an intercessor. You can be a missionary. You can be... No telling what God would do with you if you let him. Or you can withdraw in yourself and do nothing. Over there in... Over there in uh, Philippians 2.21, I believe it is. Let me just turn there. Two twenty one. For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Over in chapter three, he's gonna say, I'm counting everything in this world uh, garbage but Jesus. Everything. He said, I was, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was I'm a ruler of the Jews. I was in Gamaliel's school. I was headed for the Sanhedrin. I was the hottest thing on the market politically as a Jew. But I, I throw all of that away and count it but loss that I may know him and that I may have him and that he may work in me and do in me and be in me what he wants to be. That's 221. If you look over to uh no, that's 121, I'm sorry. If you look to 221. In, 220, in 219 he said, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly to you, that you may be a, that I may be also be of good comfort when I know your state, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. You remember Timothy, he's that bashful young preacher that God's going to use. He's going to send Paul's going to send him over here to this Philippian church of all places. The church at Philippi. The church that, that's right in the heart of the, of the idol worship. Right in the heart of the sinners of all the filthiness and adultery and fornication and everything you can think of in Rome. He said, I don't have another man like-minded. Look at 21. For all seek their own and not the things of Christ. Why is it that, that we can't fill this place up? Why is it that we don't see hundreds saved in Wichita Falls, Texas? Why is it that the church seems to be stymied and just dragging step by step? The answer is in that verse. All seek their own and not the things of Christ. We say we're saved. We say that he bought us with his blood. And that's true. You're not your own. For you've been bought with a price. He says because of that you should glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. But we do not see it happen because all seek their own. I mean, here we are, revival time. 
and it'll be a real battle to get people to come three nights to, to meditate and worship the one who gave his blood for our sins. What's the problem? All seek their own. So, Mary could have kept her mouth shut. But she said, I know him. And I know he can do something. And I'm depending, I'm saying to you, just depend on what he says to you. Whatever he says to you, do it. Let's look at that statement now and I'll be done. First is the scope of her advice. Look at that verse. What, whatsoever. See, there's no boundaries there. We came up the road this morning. Somewhere along the way, Susie said, there sits the highway patrol. That highway patrol has authority out there on that highway. But you let him come over here on the streets of Wichita Falls, you'll find out he's not in his turf anymore. These local jokers be up in arms about somebody invading their turf. Right? Whatsoever says no turf, no boundaries, no nothing's out of bounds, no territories. My brother-in-law has moved to St. Louis and retired now, but he lived down in a little country town, Houston, Tech, Houston, Missouri. They tried. That's Texas County, Houston, Missouri. They did the best they could. They're still hillbillies. <laughs> He and his friend, they were members of a church, and they, uh, he and his friend had a, they decided to have a Bible study in their home. They set up some rules, no arguing about the scriptures. We'll just read the Bible, and, and whatever the Bible says, that we'll, we'll agree on it, or we'll have to study on it or something. And so they, one month they went to one house, one month they went to the other house, and they invited people to go to their Bible studies. He said they'd been doing it about six months. I went to one of them. Susie and I was there for one of them. And his friend was down at the church one day and a fellow come up to him and he said, Hey, he said, I heard you've been having Bible studies. He said, Yeah, we have. He said, We have them about once a month. He said, Why don't you come over? You're welcome to come. He's, the guy said, you can't do that. He said, what do you mean I can't do that? It's my home. He said, I'm in charge of Bible studies around here. Isn't it pitiful? We are, somebody has said, I don't know who said it, but somebody said, no telling what we could get done at the church if it didn't matter who got the credit for it. So he said, she said, whatsoever he saith. See, we've come to this place where somebody will surrender a little bit here or over there, or over there, or over there. Or some 
may even surrender to the Lord. But the song says, all to Jesus I surrender, I surrender all. That's what the song says. And that's really the only, if we we haven't done that, we haven't surrendered at all. Jesus said you can't serve me and another master. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's Matthew 16, 24. Luke 9, 23 says it this way. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The disciple has to follow in order to be a disciple. A student can study without ever following. You may agree or disagree as a student, but a disciple has to follow. You understand? There's got to be a surrender of myself. I gotta go on. Then there, and I, this is really precious to me. She said, "Whatsoever he saith unto you today, there's probably more is probably more of a problem than any day since man's been on the earth. There's so many voices." clamoring for our attention. I talked with someone today that he got off of uh, Facebook and I told him about I had Facebook on the phone and I got rid of my phone and changed phones and, and I laid Facebook aside. It wasn't that Facebook was wrong or, or Facebook was had, had not harmed me in any way but I was just spending too much time on Facebook. Time I need to be reading my Bible or studying, I'd find myself looking at Facebook. It's another voice. And so so we came in here this morning and this is did you call this an annual revival? Semi annual revival? Something. A momentous occasion for this church. I've I've went home beat myself up a lot of times because I knew I had a message from God and preached my heart out and fell flat on my face. I'm no longer a pastor so I can say this a lot easier than your pastor can. But if you want a preacher that preaches, if you want to, if you want to see God work in your church, then you help him get prepared. You come in here prayed up and ready for preaching. You do your part. See, part of the preaching is whether or not that man there has got the goods. The rest of the preaching is, is there enough spirit in here to deliver the goods? A lot of voices, videos, TVs, late night movies, 
lot of voices, right? More than ever before. But over in John chapter 10, that verse says, My sheep hear my voice. The voice of another, they will not follow. Verse 5 says, The voice of a stranger, they will not follow because they know not the voice of a stranger. I would say in the church today we probably hear more from the stranger than we hear from him. He said, my sheep hear my voice. Elijah had called down fire from heaven on Carmel. And then Jezebel said, tomorrow, by, the, by tomorrow this time I'll have you. You'll be like those prophets of Baal. He went over a thousand miles down to the cave at the Mount of God. And God said, what are you doing down here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very diligent. I mean, I have really given myself to you, God. And he said there was the, the wind that broke the rocks but God wasn't in the wind the fire but God wasn't in the fire and there was an earthquake but God wasn't in the earthquake but then there was a still small voice and spoke to his man and he said I've got a work for you to do I've got, an, I've got a prophet for you to anoint. I've got a man, I've got a nation for you to, to give us a king on. I've got a work for you to do, Elijah. Hear my voice, Elijah. David said, no, Isaiah said over in Isaiah, he, he, he said, you'll hear a voice behind you saying this is the way walk ye in it when you turn into the left or turn into the right you'll hear that voice saying this is the way I want to say to us as a church if you're saved you had to hear that voice over Revelation chapters 2 and 3 7 times he says he that has an ear not an ear up here but an ear down here he that has an ear let him hear what thus saith the Lord. And God's spoke to us somewhere along the way. I never forget I never forget the convicting spirit of God who dealt with me that night I got saved. I was just a twelve year old boy, but the night I got saved I thought if I don't get saved tonight I'll never be saved. I've got to get saved tonight. He had, he had pulled on me and that conviction spirit was so intense that I knew I had to be saved that day. I don't know if I ever got another chance or not. But I got that chance and I, I'm glad of it. 
I'm glad I got saved, didn't I? If you're saved, you heard his voice somewhere along the way. Not an accident you're saved. Holy Spirit had to... There's something wrong with our theology today when, when when, when theology says if you want to be saved, just invite him into your heart. It's much more than that. First of all, there must be a convicting spirit that says you're a sinner and you need God. Without God, you can't make heaven. You, that conviction of the Holy Spirit that draws us to Him. And a repentant heart that turns from who I am to who He is. And then that welcome arms of the Father that says, I'll make you my son. I'll give you a new birth. And you can be born again and know that you're my child. That's all the work of God. It's not anything we do. It's what he does. Had to be that voice. Then, then Paul says over there in uh, Timothy, there's a holy calling. He's called us to holiness. Peter said, be ye holy as I'm holy. We talk about spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is, the other word is sanctification. Over there in 2 Timothy, he talks about the vessels in a great house. Wood, clay, gold, silver. But there's the, there's the, the vessel of honor. It's that vessel that's set apart for God's use. The sanctification, in, that word sanctified is, the, it's, the Greek word sanctified is holy. Same word. We, holy means set apart for God's service. That's all it means. There's some stuff has to be cleaned off. There's some scrubbing that must be done, but holy is that vessel that God will use. You go home and find that old glass sitting on the counter. It's been sitting there for two weeks. You going to drink out of it? Or if you... I've got an aerobic system. That water looks so pretty spurting out on your lawn. You going to drink some of that? God's not either. He's going to take a holy vessel, go to the fountain of living water, and bring living water to lost souls to be saved. He calls us for that. So I want to ask you this, church. How long since you've heard from heaven? Peter and John said, when they said don't preach anymore, they said it's more important to hear you or hear God. We can't help but say the things we've seen and heard. Revival would be a return to saying the things we've seen and heard and letting God speak to us and act on His Word. 
She said, whatever he saith unto you. Vance Havner, I've got him on tape. Great old preacher. I think he surrendered to preach when he was 13 years old and, and he was in his 70s or 80s when I heard, heard him say this to, to a thousand preachers. He said, Preacher, the saddest day is when voice and vision come no more. Christian, the saddest day is when you can't hear from heaven anymore. Well, what's the answer? These altars, your prayer altar, your prayer closet, getting back in your book. Whatever he says unto you, do it. First, you've got to have an ear that can hear. That's what he said in Revelation. Get your ear tuned in. <laughs> and then there's the, the last thing. She said, Whatsoever he saith unto you, I call this the step of victory. Do it. Over in Luke chapter 5, I just got I wanted to show you this passage, Luke 5. Verse, verse number one and two. It came to pass as the people pressed on him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. I don't know much about fishing. I sure don't know anything about commercial fishing. But I know something about shrimp poor boys. Susie and I found a place down on Pier 7 at Galveston years ago where the ocean-going shrimp boats would come in. And you could go down there and get a shrimp poor boy. They'd sit, let you set up on the second deck and you could watch those shrimpers coming in and out of that pier. And I found out something. When they're washing their nets and hanging their nets and drying their nets and patching their nets, they're through fishing. He's going to say to Peter down there in about three verses, launch out into the deep and let your net down for a draught. And Peter's going to say, I'm the expert here, Lord. I know all about fishing. I know all about this water. I've been raised on this lake. And we don't have deep water nets. We've got shallow water nets. We don't fish in the daytime. We fish at night. We catch our fish in the night when, it's, when the fish are moving. And, but since it's you, I'll just obey Without faith, I'll just obey. And he let down his net for a draught. And the net began to break. And the boat began to sink. And they called their partners. And two boats were filled with fish. And he fell out on his face in the stinking fish. And said, depart from me. For I'm a sinful man, O God. 
And Jesus took him. His words were, fear not. From henceforth you'll fish for men. Fear not. Have you heard from him lately? See, the, she said, if you want victory, do it. There's a, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff pulling at you. I, I, wondered, I wonder if everybody is, gets as tangled up and as busy as I get. I mean, I'm always behind. I never catch up. Every day I get up, there's a hundred different things that I could be doing. But sometimes the best thing to do is just stop and hear his voice. And when he says do it, do it. I I don't have any doubt that in this crowd there's some folks that are running from the voice. I read a book about a preacher in the 1700s his mother raised him and said, "Don't ever get out of sound of get out of the sound of the church bell." And he said he was, as a young man, he was going fox hunting. And on Sunday morning, they rode right by the church, going fox hunting on their horses, and he and his buddies, and and that bell was ringing. He got a mile or so away, and he could just barely hear the bell. And finally he said to his friends, I can't go hunting today, I'm going back to church. He turned around and rode back to the church, gave his heart to the Lord that day, and became the man of God that God wanted him to be. That's what this day is all about. The bell's ringing for you. Whatever he says to you, to you, not to your neighbor, not to your husband, not to your wife, but to you. Whatever he says to you, are you willing to do it? You'll never know victory until you do it. Once you do it, it may be the greatest thing, more than you ever imagined, but you'll never know it until you do it. Let's stand. Father, I pray you've had your will here today and I pray you've had your will here tonight. I ask you, Lord, that you'd help us to yield ourselves over to you and let you be in us and do in us, work in us and with us and through us as you see fit. Lord, I pray you'd help us to open our spiritual ear, seek your face, turn from who we are, humble ourselves before you. And Lord, would you help us to have that heart that says, whatever he says to me, I'll do it. Lord, would you help us to just respond to the call of God in each of our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to have the invitation.